No, it was super hard. It was super yeah. hard because I think I did a wrong uh, step, mm -hmm. which is I arrived. I arrived to Berlin on September 22nd. It was exactly the moment when the Syrians arrived at the Hauptbahnhof. Mm -hmm. And I went straight to a meetup to uh, to offer some sort of support. And that meetup place became my first organization. So oh, wow. I didn't have time to do a lot of other things. And I jumped just like that. Um, I reflect, of, of course, I would not be here if I wouldn't have not done that, but I reflect a lot that perhaps I shouldn't have left my integration process first and not putting me so much under under so much stress. So I think that that combined with the whole integration process mm -hmm. and my whole journey, I collapsed in 2019. Oh, wow. Recorded live at PodFest Berlin, supported by WonderTax. Tax returns made easy. Well, hello everybody, or as I like to say on my podcast, hey there, risers and thrivers. So my name is Janine Heinrich, and I am the creator and host of this podcast that you're listening to, and it's called On the Up and Up. And I created On the Up and Up with the goal to encourage critical conversations, amplify the untold stories and achievements of the underrepresented and underestimated, and inspire visionaries to take the next step into entrepreneurship. And today we're really leaning into all of those points. Um, with this really special episode that's being recorded live at PodFest Berlin, which is a homegrown podcasting festival celebrating our city's podcast and podcasters, which is supported and sponsored by WonderTax. So tax returns made easy. Um, and with that being said, I wanted to say a huge thank you to the PodFest team for giving me, giving me this opportunity. Like I said, I just started this podcast about a month ago, so this is quite exciting and a great learning experience. Um, and at the same time, I want to say a huge, huge thank you to Anna Alvarez for joining me today. So for those of you who don't know, Anna is a serial social entrepreneur. She is the founder of the award-winning Migration Hub and today is also the CEO and co-founder of Micropreneur, as well as the managing director of its nonprofit daughter company, Bureau Crazy. And that's not all. She, there's a lot more to her than that. So Anna has successfully launched over 14 projects in Germany, Europe, and the Middle East since 2015. Her hub hosted 170 plus events, engaged with more than 5,000 participants in Berlin only around migration and innovation. And today she has built Migrapreneur to a community of over 3,000 members. So Obviously, Anna, you are remarkably accomplished, and I'm really honored and grateful to have you here with me today. But I also want to ask, outside of all of your achievements, tell us, who are you? Oh, Jesus. Well, thank you so much. This is by far one of these events that I really enjoy. Um, I was born as a grassroots organization, and I love this. I love what you're doing. And as a woman, I can't be here without supporting another woman trying to achieve uh, many other things. Um, so who am I? Well, I'm a migrant. I'm a migrant. I still am a migrant to Germany. I still feel uh, isolated in many ways and in many topics. Um, and I think that I'm a migrant who arrived in 2015 with a lot of expectations and I had to build my own life, mm -hmm. my own journey, because um, it was not that easy. So I think as myself, there are many other 
like me, trying to find their way in in Germany. And so that's why I define myself today a migrant, because I want all the migrants to feel that it doesn't matter how long you're going to live in Germany, we're going to be together always uh, yeah. for this migration story. I think that's absolutely beautiful, and I completely relate to that. So I moved to Germany eight years ago. So my situation's a bit of a weird one because I was born in Germany, mm -hmm. but I grew up in the U.S., and then I moved to Germany again when I was 18. And I honestly relate more to the migrant experience. Of course, I have the privilege in a way of never having to deal with the German bureaucracy because I have a German passport. But at the same time, I very much feel like an outsider. And although I've been here for eight years, <laughs> it is such a journey. It is. It is. It is hard it is hard it's been a roller coaster ride i mean we talked about this briefly even before we got started the the emotional ups and downs at one point you i despise germany and that's mm -hmm. something that you even can relate to um so do you even want to just get into a bit of what was your motivation for moving here mm -hmm. did you have and also did you have an idea of what germany would have been like mm -hmm. and then got hit by the reality absolutely um i moved here with my partner at the time he was german and we were together for 13 years so um, that was my motivation, but mm -hmm. also because I was feeling safe. We were always traveling every year just to visit for holidays. And so I felt that um, I can't make it. You know, I was coming here. I was always treated amazingly. People in the streets were always telling me like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Your German is amazing. And, you know, as a tourist, I think that was really what I adopted. But when I came here, the moment I arrived, I sincerely felt the rejection. And my German was any more good, it was a disaster. And everything that happens afterwards, and I have to be very honest, I mean, I have um, been in stages where perhaps a person like me would have never imagined. I have been also receiving a lot of benefits of being in a country like Germany. But there are so many things that that expectation I had before, also seeing back then my partner when he moved to Costa Rica, I'm from Costa Rica, um, how he was treated versus to where I was treated here. And so I think that started to feel like a rejection. Um, and I rejected the culture for many years. Mm. I even had to go through therapy to make peace with that. And also because I tried to move back to my country. After all these accomplishments, I think that the dream is when you get offered a big job back home. And that happened to me last year. And uh, I got offered a big job and then I went there to see Okay, so now I need to go back and now I have to think about a big car with with darkened windows and be secured and and I finally felt free in Berlin, you know? Like I can mm -hmm. be able to take a scooter and a bike and just go and be free. Yeah. And so up until very recent I kind of appreciated that freedom, mm -hmm. but it cost me a lot. Yeah. I can really relate to you on that as well, because I would say since moving to Berlin, I've really felt that sense of freedom. And that was that confirmation for me, like, OK, I'm actually very happy to stay <laughs> here because I was at that pivotal point about two years ago. Um, and it was this dissociation that I had when I first moved to Germany because my mom had lived here first. She's from Ghana. And the way my mom talked about Germany, you would have thought I was going to Disney World. Like, this woman hyped up this place so much. I should have known she came from a village in Ghana, okay? So she was very excited when she got here. But I grew up in the States. It's a bit of a different perspective for me. Um, and I remember getting here and being like, what in the backwards-ass country did I just get sent to? Like, I was like, you can't even pay with card. And yes. Frau Neto is throwing my groceries at me. Like, can you at least say good morning? I just had the hardest time adjusting. So much so that I rejected the culture as well. I refused to learn the language for the first three, four years. 
because I hated it. I was like, why should I learn but a language? This is, but this is something that um, yeah. I know that we will talk about this, but this yeah. is where I, I call it the denial collective mm. because um, this is not just us. No. This is happening to a lot of people. Exactly. And I think that the part of the so-called integration course and the integration process is failing too much to the point that you either create such a big rejection mm -hmm. and those who Germany is trying to attract will end up leaving. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, but a big portion of them, essentially because of that part. And I think um, it's so hard to make it here and yeah. I've, I've worked in migration with other countries and the story is not that different. I have worked with refugees from Kosovo in the 90s in the UK. Mm -hmm. Already, of course, fast forward, I was not working in the 90s, but um, listening to their story and how hard it was for many of them to be integrated in the UK. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the same everywhere. It's not just Germany. Mm -hmm. So I think that we are doing very little to get countries accountable for what they're making migrants feel and how much work that means. Mm -hmm. and, I and I will finish this point with saying that once um, in the hub long time, some time ago, we received the um, deputy of the Office of Immigration of, yeah. of, in, from Canada. And so um, I remember we used to put, when we used to receive this type of like official visits, we used to put a agenda, not a, mm -hmm. not agenda, just to basically make them have like an um, overview of who we were and so on. So I invited uh, migrants from different backgrounds, from refugees and here and so on, so for them to introduce themselves, mm -hmm. share their story and, and some projects that we we're working on. And I remember his coming at the end um, made me think the whole process in a different way. He said, you know, Anna, what is different from us, we always prize Canada for being so successful with integration. Because in the very fast forward period, you see them being, you see migrants becoming entrepreneurs and very successful ones, or essentially getting a job and being successful ones. But we ignore the journey. Mm. We don't know how they got there. And the fact that we later, as a government, we come and price that and we put it as, hey, we made it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's wrong yeah. and because it's, it's not their effort. Yeah. It's not their work. It's been the resilience of an individual mm -hmm. trying to survive. 100%. And I even want to take it back to your journey and the res your resilience that you went through. I mean, you came here, you had this dissociation of... The, your expectations of Germany when you had visited and then you came here and you really weren't enjoying that experience. So how did that translate into your professional and personal life? No, it was super hard. It was super yeah. hard because I think I did a wrong uh, step, mm -hmm. which is I arrived. I arrived to Berlin on September 22nd. It was exactly the moment when the Syrians arrived at the Hauptbahnhof. Mm -hmm. And I went straight to a meetup to uh, to offer some sort of support because back home I worked in an organization quite large and I lived in a campus with 130 nationalities including Syrians including Palestinians including. and so I was really familiar with that and so mm -hmm. um, I said look I understand their culture very well I want to be useful and not just useful because I want to help it's just that I was applying for jobs I was waiting for a letter to learn German that took six months so I you know so then I went there and that meetup place became my first organization. So oh, wow. I didn't have time to do a lot of other things. And mm -hmm. I jumped just like that. Um, I reflect, of, of course, I would not be here if I wouldn't have not done that. But I reflect mm -hmm. a lot that perhaps I should have lived my integration process first 
and not putting me so much under under so much stress. So I think that that combined with the whole integration process mm -hmm. and my whole journey, I collapsed in 2019. Oh, wow. And I am very open about it because... I had to close the migration hub, which was okay. a really huge venue. It was a huge place where we were doing a lot. A lot of people say like, oh, you planned it because it was before 2020. And I'm like, no, no, it's that that year that I ended up in the hospital. Okay, I was gonna ask what led to that collapse. Yes, and, and it was uh, partly, um, I was um, having some uh, health difficulties, mm -hmm. but it was not only physical, but it was also mentally. Yeah. Um, and I think that I remembered two years before I was receiving an award and I was not seeing the audience. I was not able to see anything in front of me and people were like, oh my God, don't be so ridiculous, enjoy and so on. But I think I didn't read the signs that I was slowly collapsing. Mm. Um, also because I was always traveling here and there and dealing with teams, members, hiring, bureaucracy, lawyers, managing a place, yeah. plus finding myself here, it was really tough. And may I so, ask, was mm -hmm. it like a burnout you were experiencing? It was a huge burnout, okay. but it was also in a physical, I was, um, um, it was not linked to that, but I think after therapy that I went through after, I kind of find out that probably some growing problems that I was having mm -hmm. physically was related to that. Mm -hmm. And 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 so, so basically for me, the pandemic, um, was a turning point to move some of the uh, projects we were doing online, mm -hmm. which was really successful. And then somehow I started to disappear from the audience. Um, I was all over the place, invited mm -hmm. to speak here, to be there in big stages, yeah. traveling all the time. I remember the end of of a, of a, of the year of 2018 i was literally traveling from norway paris uh, taiwan came back and when i ended up in costa rica to visit my family mm. and so that train of life yeah. at the end put a lot of pressure on my team which needed me yeah. and i perhaps was not able to be present physically and mentally yeah. Um, for many of them, and also trying to struggle with every letter that was arriving. And and, and here is where Micropreneur is born, because um, I remembered I built a company. Everybody was coming for for advice on how to deal with their companies. And it was not about help me to build my business model or anything like that. It was, hey, I received this letter. What is this about? Mm. And so I I registered a company. It was a gig and behalf, which is the same thing as a company, but it's like a minus. So you yeah. can do both things. Um, and so I remember that I learned how to manage it yeah. after every letter. And I remember when I hired the first team, I went to get the something is called the Betrips Numa, which is a number that you get um, from the, let's say, the job center or the Agentura right, where it's like you, as a company, you have a number, yeah. and based on that number, you make hirings. I remember I went there asking, okay, so how does that work? And they said, so why are you hiring if you don't know how it works? Oh, wow. Or going to a bank and asking for a question very yeah. generally. And also, I'm Latina, so I'm asking things. I'm always talking. So... Um, and I'm I remember scared to ask a question even because it's like you're going to be met with such an ignorant response. No, no, no. no. You get demonized if you ask a question. Yeah, exactly. Like, or, or you get punished. Like, you should not be doing this if you don't know. But Everywhere. then it's like, what is the purpose of them being there? To not even them? today, I went to an event um, yeah. related to bureaucracy and, and, and so on. So, yeah. and, and, and I just 
listened a team member of mine who's yeah. in charge of business and investment. He wanted to be there and asked the question. I'm like, don't lose time. Mm-hmm. And I remember we talked to um, I'm not gonna call the institution in charge of all these craft uh, who needs to come to Germany. And they said like, well, I went to their link, yeah. I scanned it. I was like, yeah, but this is in German. So how is gonna be? How is the people? who's arriving going to understand anything, yeah. well, they should not come. So, fast, I mean, backwards, when I was building the first organization, yeah. I learned by every time I open a letter. Mm-hmm. And trying to ask the right questions, I was always receiving this, you know. So at this point in 2019, I remember I said to myself, why am I doing this? I should not be doing this. And I should not be having all this success, whatever that means, because yeah. I don't deserve it. And I and I feel like I'm failing because I'm winning prizes. But what people don't know yeah. is that um, I don't know anything about business. Yeah. And that's how these people made me feel every single day. Meanwhile, you knew a lot because you were doing it in the process. You were learning in the process, which is what you're supposed to do as an entrepreneur. And I think what's so interesting and also critical about what you said is because you were going through that integration experience yourself Mm -hmm. while simultaneously building something which i personally can't even fathom because no no it was a mistake on a personal (laughs) (laughs) i can tell you already it was a mistake but it's also but it's also phenomenal that you did it because it shows that it can be done um but i can also imagine how you felt by the time you got to 2019 with the way you know in 2015 there were absolutely nothing nothing and i can tell you that in the last years Berlin has made an incredible street switch, Mm -hmm. I would say, and 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 they're trying to understand. Uh, Back then, I remember the startup uh, department of the Senate Mm -hmm. didn't even existed. so I know all these people who created yeah. the first departments and so on and and but the thing is back then it didn't exist any of these things and yeah. and, and and but still what it exists it's not enough. Yeah. And maybe I can actually just jump in and ask because mm-hmm. you said that you you kind of had that down in 2019 and you felt like you weren't doing it. So how did you go from shutting down my, the migration hub? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and convincing yourself to go back into it again because yes. it does to me, sound a bit, and maybe this is dramatic for me to say, it is a bit of a traumatizing experience yes. too. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, and, and I, I have still some PTSD from from that moment because okay. um, I I'm still very afraid of many things that I went. I remember, I think I had a lot of big successes and mm-hmm. prizes and things like that because I was naive. Yeah. Now I don't go to places. I try to not to go to certain events, not because I'm afraid, but because. Um, I think that a lot of it is a lie. You know, you present yourself as an entrepreneur and you're successful, but people don't know what you're going through. And mm-hmm. so every time I go to a big event and I see an entrepreneur showcasing like, oh, I'm the best. And, you know, you don't know what they're going through. Yeah. Um, so so I don't engage in these things because of, of that. So how did it start? Or the micropreneur thing. Well, I, I remember I was uh, I had to take some consultancy uh, uh, projects because many of them were linked to the company, and some mm-hmm. of my clients said, "Anna, but we need to we need to continue with this. Or so what are we going to do?" And like, well, I do this, you do this. I can find you a partner, and 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 I can connect you with a partner to continue with the project and so on, mm-hmm. and then I get paid for that. So I still continue with some cl- closing some projects in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that, uh, good news and bad news, but the good news is for me at the, at the time is that the pandemic started so I can move, I could 
be able to move everything online. Mm. So that was good for me. But at the time, I was set. I was even looking for jobs in Costa Rica. I was okay. not. I was definitely not wanting to continue living mm -hmm. here. Um, and I remember uh, one day I was in my apartment, lying on the floor, completely bro broke uh, because I just closed the organization. I had some consulting, but it was not going to be the same. And thinking what to do with my life, but really not worrying mm -hmm. about anything. Um, and I call them my Habibis. Mm -hmm. It's a group of very close friends from Syria and Palestine that I met in 2015 mm -hmm. uh, through my first organization. And they started to come to my house uh, to play cards with me. Mm -hmm. And just, they never said anything. They just come, they just were going around and, and so on. Until one day I received a call from a good friend of mine, Mo, uh, who I know that right now is going through a very tough time because of what's happening in Palestine. Mm -hmm. uh, he's Palestinian, Canadian. And he said, yo, you are not going to stop. Yeah. You are not. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you. So said, Mo, it's not possible because I already started the process of closing it. This is not going to be that. I said, no, do it again. Do it again. I'm not going to let you. Mm. I was like, yeah, whatever. Following day, hey, did you start it? So if that wouldn't have been for them, I think I wouldn't have done yeah. my grandparent again. Um, so my resilience, I own it. To the Syrians. Yeah. And I'm not, not myself. I mean, I'm a Latina. I'm an emotional. I, mm -hmm. You know, if I said no, it's no. Um, it's their resilience. Yeah. And it's also the, the power of the community that you have yes. surrounding you, right? I mean, um, I also, I would say back in, it was around 2020. I remember joking with my ex-boyfriend at the time. I said, if one more thing happens in my life, I know I'm going to go over the edge. Mm -hmm. And I said that to him. But I said it as a joke, but never just kidding. There's a little bit of truth. Yeah. So when someone says something like that dig into it a little bit um and then unfortunately my father passed away my first oh. uh, week at uni and it wasn't his death necessarily but it was the everything else around it that opened pandora's box if you're very good at compartmentalizing like i am you put that thing in a box you tape it up and you leave it there um <laughs> and then he passed and it was like somebody opened that box and everything came out and i was like wait no put it back in and i couldn't um and it really was that community of friends that i had who were like family to mm -hmm. me here who were like all right i know you're miserable today but let's go for a walk you know, or like, let's the do same, this. And it took mm -hmm. me a solid two years to get over. It. And even going back to what you said during that time, everyone would have thought I was fine. You would have thought I was fine. I got an award on my thesis. I graduated top of my uni class. You would have thought I was fine because I wasn't saying anything. And that's why I also don't really like these entrepreneurship events, because <laughs> if you can be a, and I suffer from depression, right? I can be a high functioning depressed person. I can do a lot during that period of time. And you Senior. wouldn't know the difference. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm not telling you about that. And that's the part where I do think we need to start having more of these conversations and, and also talking about how do we cope with that? And I only engage is, in events yeah. like this yeah. where I am able I am able to speak the whole story mm -hmm. and I'm able to come in across because I think people will not understand it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and that's something that I'm, I've been, I'm careful now. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to that resilience in that community, yeah. that's where to me the community is very, very important. Yeah. Um, I call myself a co-founder of Micropreneur because my co-founder, which are not necessarily co-founders mm -hmm. in management or building the company, I call a co-founder an individual who never left me alone mm -hmm. and who was there all the time. Yeah. And with Imim, I mean, he was working and he's Syrian. His name is Munser. He was coming to my apartment all the time. He's my neighbor. Yeah. And a year after... Um, 
I also went through another process, but I'm really happy that I was mentally stronger and so on. I lost my brother because of mental health mm. and um, and it was him mm. who came over and took care of my situation. And I remember they took me to the airport quickly and then I forgot my passport, I forgot my computer oh and it was him going back to my apartment, coming back to the airport. The power of that community, yeah. it's everything. It is. It's the thing that really holds you down and keeps you grounded when you are living in a place that's not your home mm -hmm. and you are a migrant. And so even taking it back to the whole purpose and mission behind Migrapreneur, where is that coming from? I mean, what challenges are you seeing mm -hmm. in the German system that made you really push and fight for this initiative? Ooh, bureaucracy. And that's why we bought this nonprofit because it was already an existing nonprofit. Okay. Uh, so we bought it. Is this bureaucracy? Yeah. Okay. So bureaucracy was founded in 2016. It was also part because Migration Hub, my previous organization, had an incubator. Okay. We had an incubator for migrant entrepreneurs in Germany, in Finland, in Italy, in Spain, in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And so we learned a lot about migrant entrepreneurs and what they were struggling. And it was the same everywhere. So bureaucracy was one of those who were inside of, okay. of, of the program. Um, so I bought Bureaucracy because I knew that if we were going to focus on entrepreneurship or yeah. migrants, we can't move forward without the topic of bureaucracy. Mm. And so that's the goal behind Migrapreneur, um, first and foremost. The first thing that I did was to build the community a little bit more um, structured. Okay. We knew that there were a community there that we know a lot of people, but we needed to give it a little bit of a structure. Mm -hmm. So that was the first step. And then the second step was learning from the community what is really needed. Okay. Um, although we know we are also migrants, so it's nothing new for any one of us. But um, I'm not the kind of person who will develop a program without not consulting. Yeah. And we're also not a homogenous group, right? Yes, That's also why exactly. I don't like mm -hmm. when people say, oh, women founders. It's like, well. There's yeah. a lot of different yeah, women yeah. within the category of women. So let's. <laughs> so the goal of Micropreneur was not. Yeah. Uh, many people think that, oh, it was going to be an incubator. It is going to be this. My goal was not that. My goal mm -hmm. is that whatever product, whatever thing we're going to develop, people should know that it was built by migrants. Mm -hmm. And that was really important to me because I fought a lot in, in meetings about the whole made in Germany. Okay. Um, Why? There is a narrative, well, they used to, and I'm super happy that this has also switched and, and shifted a little bit. So there was this narrative about made in Germany. And so anything or any innovative solution that was created was always made in Germany. Mm -hmm. But I think that's not partially true because a lot of these innovations were not made by Germans. And so in the outside world, you tend to think that made in Germany is made by Germans. Mm -hmm. Um, the COVID vaccine is one big example, right? Especially the one from Pfizer, because everybody knew it was going to come from Germany. Oh, the innovative place. But oh, hold a second. Germany shrunk in the last decade 40% innovation. But the new innovation coming up, it was in the hands of migrants. Mm -hmm. And I think that the denying their existence is a huge mistake. And it's a mistake that right now we're going through. And I think Germany, is, I hope, picks it up sooner than, than later because the lack of funding opportunities, mm -hmm. the lack of actually the la from this year to next year, there are going to be more substantial cuts towards funding that has benefited a lot of migrant entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. For example, the, the um, so-called Berlin scholarships for startups. Um, four years ago, okay. many more people were able to take them. The problem is that many migrants didn't know that existed, but those who took it 
at least got something to start this mm -hmm. business. Just by the fact that they pay you 2,000 euros per month for a period of six months or even a year to just uh, test if your idea is a good idea. That's an enormous support. Yeah. And now it has been cut in the half and probably is going to not exist in the next years. And where do you think those, like you said, Germany's in denial. So what do you mean by Germany's in denial and where do you think that's coming from? <laughs> uh, it's coming from what I hear all the time, but I think uh, it's in denial for many reasons. First and foremost, because politics are going to benefit from now on only the so-called skilled migrants, which I have a problem with that name. Okay. Because uh, it started in the UK, moved to the European Union, and now was even adopted as a law in Germany. The fact that you write a law saying skilled migrants, if you're not this skilled migrant under that law, mm -hmm. then who am I? Am I an unskilled migrant? Mm -hmm. So that is already categorizing, saying, yeah. it's making a categorization of a very specific group of people. So if you're not a doctor... If you're not a nurse, if you're not a software engineer, you're not a skilled migrant. That's what that law says. Okay, but what about the, because I know right now in Germany, for example, they're saying that they want to bring in more migrants with skilled labor who These can ones. take on like These ones. the Ausbildungs and do things like... This ones, the Fachkraft. That's yeah, what exactly. I'm talking about. The exactly. exactly. So that is considered a skilled migrant. But if yeah. you're not coming to do that, then you're not. Okay. And I want to remember that this society as any other big city in this world mm -hmm. has been built by the fact that there is there is a cultural benefit. The gastronomy is one of them. Mm -hmm. And they are great. And countries like this are benefiting greatly from this. $2.5 trillion have been paying taxes in one year by migrants in all these OECD country members. Okay. So the fact that we're denying the contributions that migrants are already providing, not just the skilled migrants, it's everybody. It's a denial mm. of the benefits that migrants can be in a country like Germany. And so limiting to that number, it's something that is going to cost, hopefully not, I think we're still in time, but it's going to cost a lot of money to the economy. And why am I mentioning this? This is a very, very, uh, it's just an, a matter of... Uh, uh, stats and data, this law is set in order to bring at least 400,000 people every mm -hmm. year. Now you wonder where this number is coming from. It's coming from the number of people that is going to start being pensioned every year in Germany. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, oh, I get 400 and I replace them with a new 400. That's it. Math. Everything close. But no, Germany, that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> it's not going to work because you're not going to find 400,000 people exactly for these specifically jobs. Mm -hmm. People need integration. People bring their families. They um, bring their children. Um, also, we've seen it repetitively in the last months that a lot of these people are deciding to leave. Yeah. The jobs that they came for because they're they are not paid to what they were suggested, um, mainly because of the taxes that you end up paying. Mm -hmm. uh, second, their wives or spouses end up not being able to also find another job. And sometimes their visas, because of the lack of appointments in the immigration office, is called Auslanda Beherde. Yeah. Uh, the Lea, um, true. it's not allowing people to start their jobs or uh, this is uh, this is a funny thing and this is where I think it's not going to happen very fast. Um, let's say you come here with a, as a family, mm -hmm. right? Because let's say 
uh, you got one of these big jobs, relocated, moved to Germany, you went to the Ausländer Behörde, you make an appointment to turn that visa into residency, and then that appointment doesn't happen in six months. But your contract starts very soon. Yeah. So then the company is losing and so on. Very recently, I, I read a answer from, mm -hmm. the, from the immigration office that said, don't worry, you can start working with a visa. So it gives time until you get the appointment. So the problem is not fix the uh, problem in the appointments, but fix that. But let me tell you this. You cannot engage your children in, in the kindergarten mm -hmm. or in the school without a residence permit. So there's a lot of problems yeah. layered after layer after layer for a lot of the problems in the bureaucracy system. So it's not going to be that easy, like, oh, 400,000 people are going to pension, then we're going to bring 400,000 people, and then they start working right away. No. It's not going to work. And Germany doesn't need 400,000 people a year. Okay. What would you say they need, then? They need more. Mm. Because there's already institutions for labor uh, in Germany suggesting that in the next decade, Germany need Germany needs a big influx of migrants. And that denial comes with politics and the narratives against migrants. And that actually brings me to my next point, because while we were chatting, you had brought up very clearly, um, you said we're living in the era of the right wing. Yeah, um, and that's part of the denial. And that's part of the denial because the right wing doesn't want certain migrants. Mm -hmm. I mean, the news these days is all about against everybody who's arriving from Africa. Let's be quite honest. Yeah either Africans themselves or Arabs who were stuck in Africa. or So that denial of that these are people who can also bring chances and opportunities to mm -hmm. countries like this, and the fact that collectively in the European Union, there is, a, is one of the first times that I've seen them agreeing partially into something, which is to stop them from coming. And... Ursula von der Leyen, which is the, yeah. the president of the EU, saying we're going to select the people that are going to come to Germany, eh, to Europe. Mm -hmm. And then Germany says we're going to select the people that are going to come to Germany. So it's the exact same narrative. Yeah. In the UK, they're going a little bit far. I'm not going to put them as an example, but it's the same narrative. Mm -hmm. And it are the countries are the very same countries that need more people. Yeah. And... Taking it back to micropreneurs, so where does micropreneurs step in with all of this then? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> um, so micropreneur, part of our business and our existence is we're really good at sourcing because we know where to get the migrants to mm -hmm. source. Actually, uh, between November last year, which is almost a year, until now, we have sourced more than 5,000 people to programs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's our USP. So what we are going to be launching next year is... Um, we're still in a lot of negotiations, and that has to do also with the government and what the government mm -hmm. wants. But we have developed a platform that is that path, okay. especially the appointment systems and basically changing the way um, some institutions in the government work and be the platform that when migrants arrive, you can open bank accounts at mm -hmm. least easily, whether you go and then you can find which banks are uh, eligible for your passport, because sometimes depending on your passport, you can't open a, a, a bank, bank account, account yeah. that easily. And um, also taxes for those who are building companies as well, put them in touch with their surrounding experts as well, yeah. meaning lawyers and so on. And um, I 
actually, I'm thinking about this because I know you said you built the, the platform basically by migrants, for migrants from that perspective, which is a beautiful thing. But at the same time, you did say that Germany is in denial and there are a lot of policymakers. Um, the environment's becoming more right wing. And it reminds me now, takes me back to the conversation mm -hmm. I had with Christoph Solich at PatCon, where we we're talking about pitching a business. And the main thing that you need to do is make people care. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about this topic, what are the th three points that you have as to why these people who are in denial or don't care about the topic or just have the blinders on, should they even care to begin with? Um, well, first and foremost, uh, the, the first point that we're going through also with investors at yeah. the moment is showing them that it's possible. Okay. Um, and the power of the community for us is the, the strongest voice and proof and test that we have that is not just us complaining about it, it's an entire community complaining about it. And their stories, their their information, the analysis we've made, what it's working for businesses, why some of them are also failing, why some people are also leaving, mm -hmm. that has allowed us to demonstrate a lot of these things. So I think the power of the community is allowing us people to care and mm -hmm. look at us saying like, hey, no, 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 it's not you crazy woman keep mm -hmm. talking and talking about this is there is an entire community who's supporting not the idea, but it's coming together with the same um, with the same problematic. So this is something called systemic. It's mm -hmm. systematic. So it's not us just saying that we want to do it because we want to build innovation and that's it. But it's because um, we have documented it. Mm -hmm. And thanks to the whole community, that was and has been very strongly documented. Yeah. Um, the second part is undeniably, of course, the years that we have been, or in my case, I've been involved in this topic. Mm -hmm. And the fact that uh, that can be fact-checked also brings a little bit of um, trust mm -hmm. um, into certain places, right, to develop something together. Okay. Um, and last but not least, uh, there is a bit of approach from our end that we are not going to build it alone. Okay. We're going to build it with companies who are already building um, softwares to the government so it's not just us and we are allowing to make these partnerships to make it together mm -hmm. and we have a very specific approach I'm not going to dive into details on, on the approach that we take but let's say we learned a lesson mm -hmm. from 2016 where bureaucracy wanted to build something revolutionary and then the institution said no you're not going to change the way we work okay and so I think we learned through that process and now we have a different approach to make them feel part of it. Mm. But I'm being a pain in the ass now by asking this again, but why should someone care? Um, and the reason I ask this is not from the person, I get why. But who, why the migrant or the institution? I'm talking about the, the institution okay. or even the right wingers who really are just like, we don't want them here. So why no, they don't care? No, I'm telling you, like yeah. they they don't <laughs> care. Like they really don't care, yeah. and especially because they're where this fear of losing jobs. Mm -hmm. The fact that they should care and, and how we're making them care is um, it's something funny because when we go to experts, uh, meaning lawyers, mm -hmm. or like yeah, but we don't need more clients. Why do you want to bring us more clients? We don't need to. Or a tax advisor, like, why do you want to bring me a client? I mean, I, I live by it. Like, well, interesting. Dr. Lib had the same assumption. And did you know that a lot of doctors said, oh, you know, uh, I already have, I'm a house artist. I have people around me. Mm -hmm. They will always come. Well, it's, it's always a matter of trying to change how to work. Mm -hmm. And also, I think institutions right now are not being, uh, I mean, I think it would be, um, uh, definitely, uh, I mean, if you have, if you have number of appointments that you don't even have time to attend, mm -hmm. 
I think the moment arrived where the system is collapsed and everybody knows. And um, But there is something that we have collected as well from the sentiment of those in the government side. Mm -hmm. They don't like, they have seen it, and they don't like how we migrants make fun of them in TikTok <laughs> and on Instagram. <laughs> uh, they don't like it. We have uh, say, okay, no. Yes. We're just coping. With it. We're just laughing through our pain. That's all that's, that's happening. That's uh, coping I'm always, mechanism. I'm always telling this. I'm always telling this. But they don't like it, and they're looking at it, yeah. and then they feel as a personal attack. Okay. And a lot of the times that I'm not saying stop. I enjoy. I is my only reason of existence and going to Instagram at night yeah. uh, because I don't feel alone <laughs> in the process. Sure. But. Um, but I have to say that some people have taken it personally yeah. and thinking that it's them versus us. And that is not going to let a lot of changes happen. Yeah. And, you know, I think that issue with this them versus us, I mean, we see it coming from the States. You see this U.S. politics thing. I think you've got a Democrat versus a Republican. You've got migrants versus Germans. And this them versus us mentality really is dehumanizing people at the same time. And I really will simplify with the analogy of you've got a cat and a dog. Right. I am cat. You are dog. I'm cat. I don't like you. Dog does not like cat. Dog must chase cat because dog does not like cat. Period. What? <laughs> like, and, and it's it's to me, it's like when you break it down to something like that, it's it's like, okay, you, you see them as an object and a thing that you don't like. But once you get to me, let's say you introduce your puppy to your cat at some point and they live in the same house. They come to like each other. All of a sudden, both of them, different species who were technically not supposed to like each other, can live in harmony with one another. But and it's just a matter of exposure and mm -hmm. getting used to one another. And that's how I see that when it comes to these topics as well, because it very much becomes a dehumanizing, even from a migrant perspective, because then I see Frau at the Amt as... Frau Neto. Yeah, yeah, Frau Neto or the lady at the like her who's I'm just like, oh my god, here we go again with this yes. archetype of a person and I'm dehumanizing it. I'm not and, seeing it. And her they're in human. a position of power because yeah. they can decide your future and they know yeah. it. And that's uh, and, and that's something that that's why of the approach that mm -hmm. I'm talking about and the approach that is also going to involve the community of Migrapreneur mm -hmm. because yes, we need to kind of build peace before we implement a new, let's say, software. Although we have it, yeah. although we know how it works, we have to internally, and this is something, lots of discussions within the team, and we could have done it already two years ago if we would have been allowed. But it's just a matter of learning to be patient, to start with the angle, the thing that is urgent, although everything mm -hmm. is urgent from our point of view, but we know that for certain groups, just only one part is urgent, not the rest. So it's just starting with a thought and a vision, keeping close with that vision, mm -hmm. allowing that vision to guide us and to be patient until that happens. But it's um, it's hard to keep yeah. that patient a lot of oh, time. Oh, 1,000 percent. It's testing my nerves sometimes. But we are <laughs> broken as a society yeah. and, and, and the society has been polarized. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's us versus them is also part of this polarization that mm -hmm. we've been living and it's going to increase. And we see it in every situation. We see it now with Israel, with Palestine. It's how polarized the whole society is in one topic. So, yeah. And it's hard that we see humanity as one. No, we have to be this, or we have to do this, so we have to be pro this and yeah. against this. And so I think that is the same thing with implementing, uh, I'm not going to say a platform, but implementing an idea like this. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same. In our approach, we now have to have a lot of patience. Yeah. Patients go in with an entire community and try to build peace, try to come together, try to tell them that mm -hmm. you're also part of this and not just us. 
And actually, I, that brings me back to the conversation we had prior to this uh, recording. And one of the issues that you had mentioned was this lack of funding, which we're seeing more and more yes. occurring and mm-hmm. is breeding a sense of competition. Mm-hmm. And it is the money from a few who get to choose who it goes yes. to. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on that particular problem, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the people who have money thinking that they mm-hmm. know? <laughs> Well, I mean, we see it with Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk is the right example of somebody who gets rich and then because of that, you are able to talk about any topic. Mm. And I think that's just an example of how, for example, the startup ecosystem, quite frankly, works Mm. and how also the corporate ecosystem works. Because I've been in rooms where I'm introduced as an expert on certain topic and then I had to let them make their speech because they know better. Mm. So and the difference between them and I is that they are the one who holding the money. So it's that's that's the reality. And so I think where when it comes to funding, I saw it also back in the days when there were a lot of money, even in the humanitarian sector. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen I'm going to tell a story. Maybe I, I will elaborate from there. Um, back in the days with my first organization, uh, my place was very famous. And there is this guy, I'm not going to mention his name. He has his own foundation, Ashtifter. He gave, I think, from the organizations I know, he gave away in one year, I think, around more than 10 million euros oh, just wow. to organizations working with refugees. None of them were migrants, by the way. Mm-hmm. They were all Germans helping refugees. And But he wanted to celebrate his birthday in my place. Mm. Um, so I thought as an opportunity, I said, okay, I'm going to receive Mr. Mm-hmm for his birthday celebration. And, and I took him through a tour in the building and, and, and so on. And then at the end of the tour, uh, which involved the projects that we're doing, I was not pitching, but I was trying to set the floor for my last question. Mm. And I said, Mr. Mm-hmm. What is the main characteristic for you to decide this person, this organization gets the money? Because I I mean, we have a half full of social of ideas for mm-hmm. impact on the field of migration. So I want to know with whom we can connect with you. And he said, well, to me, they have to look cool. They have to look cool. That's Love his them. answer. And right there, I stopped the whole conversation and I honestly wanted to leave. I didn't want to to stay. The same, the same, the same answer I've heard now fast forward when it comes to raising investment from the private sector. Okay. What I've learned is funds, funds for black founders, for migrants and so on. If you don't, if you are a migrant and you look cool, to the person that you met and happened to have money, you get the money. There are studies that suggest that women who get funds is because of their looks yeah. and not because of their business. That's very true. It's like the, the pretty privilege yeah. definitely loans in whether man or woman. If you go behind the, um, the companies that have been raising recently that happen to have a woman and migrant background, mm-hmm. European, they all graduated from Ivy Leagues either from Harvard, London School of Economics, MIT. They are amazing. I'm not, please don't give me wrong. And if they listen to this because they know who they are, um, I'm not con- I'm not punishing them, but it's a factor. Mm-hmm. And the factor comes from the individual who holds the money, who says, I'm going to trust you because you come from Harvard. I like it. 
Yeah. I mean, I did the research on this as well with Founderland, and we called these like the homogenous networks. And it's human nature to an extent. This goes back to the, the us versus them kind of a thing. People have an easier time trusting people who look like them or have a similar experience to them. And I mean, I studied at one of the universities in Germany that's known for being the entrepreneurship university, right? Um, so it's very easy that oftentimes... Yeah, Bechau, that's where you That's come, where yeah. I said, <laughs> you just put it right out there. Yeah, yeah I studied at Bechau. <laughs> um, no, no, and I'm going to mention it. I mean, it's not, it's, 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 it is actually it when, is. When, when you go to investors and you said, I'm coming from Bechau, like, oh, nice. Exactly, and it's, it's one of the, check, because especially in Germany, because I feel like the way investors look at you is off of a checklist. It's like, okay, Veha, ooh, check. Okay, uh, you did XYZ, you worked in McKinsey, you did investment banking, oh, check, yes. check. Yes. Then it's like, okay, cool, I can trust you now to, to build this venture. But, it's, but, but this is what I mentioned about yeah. the denial, because I, I see it in the whole process, yeah. right? If you're a migrant, you go to the job center, job center, like, what is this CV? No, you're, you don't fit into what the list I have yeah. here ban rejected and if you go to a job like oh, i don't know did, did, did you, you it, where how was your university was is, is it a recognized one um ban and if you go and build a business you raise investment you go to the investor like i don't know your university don't you see yeah. the similarities and the patterns here so yes we need more funds but we need more funds coming from people like us question is how though right because no, it's not about a how i think it's going to happen in the future it's not going to happen exa- now in the future because, because it's very mm-hmm. i was going to say in the future it could happen because someone States. like myself for example had to play the game a little bit mm-hmm. i had to try to get myself into these certain places so i could earn the money because i don't have a background that comes from money that eventually i can pay it back and pay it forward but i don't the how like within many of our hello <laughs> um but for many of us it's a it's it's not that easy to get there right away, and so no, no, you do have to time. fill the check. No, it's gonna take time, and 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 I'm always saying this every time mm-hmm. I speak with with members of the community. It's always gonna come from someone like us. So mm-hmm. if one success, that's why we have to push and to like be there for somebody's success, mm-hmm. and and not because we want their money in the future, but because really what I've seen in other countries is it's gonna be one of them. Yeah. A friend of mine, his name is Edin Basic, is a refugee who's already a millionaire in the UK. Now that he retired because his company got bought and now he's just a millionaire, uh, uh, he's mm-hmm. an investor to other refugees in, in, mm-hmm. in, in the UK. And so it, it has to come from people like us. And yes, it's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is a long-term problem if we don't invest in the people today, if we don't support in the the ideas of people today, if we start fighting between each other, we don't let this person or this person and this person flourish, it will have repercussions in the future. Mm. For sure. And I think it's beautiful that you pushed against the system and you built this. And maybe the, because I know we're coming towards the end now, you did go from human, I'm switching a little bit because I want to understand this for myself out of curiosity too. Uh, You switched from humanities towards going in a business direction. And I think that's really amazing because Mm -hmm. I've always been of the opinion, I love nonprofits, they're important in their own right. However, to really create a change, it's actually better to have a for-profit business because the more you earn money, Mm -hmm. the higher you are, you're able to scale your solution and solve the problem. The Mm -hmm. moment the funding dries up, 
basically your your nonprofit's pretty much gone. Mm -hmm. So how did you switch from going from the humanities towards uh, the mm -hmm. business world? And what would be your advice to others? Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't want this to be an advice for everybody. But yeah. what happened to me is that I, when I was remembered the letters that I was receiving at the beginning, mm -hmm. um, I remember once being uh, in with a lawyer because I had a big problem. Mm -hmm. Not my problem, but turned out to be on my side, unfortunately, a contract that I shouldn't have signed, but I signed. Um, and I remember a lawyer saying, I don't care if you're a nonprofit. Nobody cares if you're a nonprofit. You have to do this like everyone else. Mm. And I think that moment, that reality of, oh, I'm doing something humanitarian and I'm doing it in a nonprofit is like bullshit. This mm. is a capitalistic world. I don't like it. I want to fight against this. But if you're not part of it, you're not going to even have funds to continue. And I think that at the end of the day, it's about your values and what you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like companies like Patagonia, that if they really want to change, if they really want to get rid of their their wealth accumulation, it's totally possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's mostly about the values of, of the individual who mm -hmm. makes the money and how do you use that money for, rather than um, becoming um, part of this unfortunate wealth accumulation that companies are always related and linked to so that's mm. it was just a personal reflection yeah. on that end and 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 in my case i just flip it and switch the business model and for that business model i needed to have a for-profit company in order to make that happen because i needed okay. i needed to raise funds not that much but i needed to raise funds to accomplish certain part the rest um I've always been very confident about how solid our business model is, mm -hmm. but that business model would have not worked with a nonprofit. That's it. Mm. But um, I think the values stays. Yeah. Um, um, I know what I want to do uh, when some of my shares are gonna be gonna be bought. Mm -hmm. I know what I want to do with that, and I think it's just a matter of the values of the people behind the company, either it's for yeah. profit or nonprofit. Beautiful. I mean, yeah, I think that's awesome. And we've got only a couple of minutes left. So do any of you have any particular questions that you want to ask? Otherwise, uh, I'll hand it over to Anna to say, is there with everything that we've discussed at this point? I mean, we covered a plethora of topics. We talked about dehumanization of people. We talked about the migration experience in Germany. We talked about your personal story as well. Um, of everything that we discuss, is there anything that you'd want one key takeaway for people to have? I think the big takeaway, and I also would like to hear from people in the room, how are you all feeling? Because I'm personally right now feeling very heartbroken to see us so divided. Mm -hmm. And especially these days with what's happening with Palestine and Israel. Um, and it really touches us because in a way... Germany also and among us, we also have Israelis, we also have Palestinians, Palestinians, um, and I cannot, I can't, we can't build anything, quite frankly, from a humanitarian point of view, without acknowledging that collective punishment, it's a war crime, mm -hmm. and dehumanizing always certain group of individuals, because you have to select the other one in order not to be politically correct. And I think that's something I would like to hear from, if any one of you would like to say something, but... What I would like to leave us uh, from here is um, I think we need to make a self-reflection mm -hmm. of what's happening today. And even if making an impact makes sense, if we are keeping this division mm -hmm. um, and, and if we are ready for that, because I think as a humanity right now, we are once again uh, being put into a test and we're not doing great. 
especially this week. I would like yeah. to see what happens in the next weeks, but I think we all have to make a reflection if we want to make an impact for who, if it's not for everybody. For sure. I do agree. We do need to do a self-reflection. And I think that everyone also needs to look within, but also look out and beyond their bubble because it's very easy to hide behind your social media feed, which is where most people get their news and which is optimized for getting information that you would prefer to see and also just getting out there and connecting with someone who has a completely opposing view from you, but having a conversation, critical conversations today that from a different perspective and you don't have to agree by the end of the conversation, but it is important to remember that they're still a human being, mm -hmm. see their other perspective and just understand where they're coming from. And I think with that, like you said, collectively coming together to create the change would make a big difference. Um, so, wow. Thank you so much for joining me, Anna. Thanks. And this was a, a, a really amazing conversation, riveting conversation, heavy conversation as well. Um, but I'm so honored that you joined me and thank you all for sitting in the audience and listening as well. I really appreciate it. And uh, for those of you listening post-recording, um, I would also love to hear your feedbacks and thoughts on our conversation. So whether you agree or disagree with the points, I created this podcast so that we would have a safe space to have critical conversations. And I stand by that no matter what your view is or your political affiliation or your perspective. So I would love to hear your respectfully, keyword, respectfully shared <laughs> perspective on any of the topics that have been discussed today or in any of the other episodes. So feel free to share your input by leaving a comment or a review or emailing me at janinaontheopenup.io. And if that's way too much work for you, absolutely no biggie. Um, but I would appreciate a rating, a like, or follow, <laughs> or just sharing it with friends or people within your community as well. So with that being said, I'm closing out the episode and saying onwards and upwards, y'all, and speak to you soon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you so yes. much.